What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Kempel with Label Free Podcast. To live your best life, you must live label free. I'm super excited. I have another author here joining us today. Just very cool. Love my authors. He is associate professor in management. He's also uh, an author of Simple Complexity and most recently, The Estimated Time Departure. Please welcome Dr. Willie Donaldson. <laughs> Willie, I'll call you Willie now because I know you say you don't you don't go by it from a medical perspective, but you did earn your rights to to carry that well, title, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. I did earn it. Yes. Welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about your background. Well, Deanna, thank you for having me. So I am a, an engineer and, and systems thinker by training and went on to run several very successful companies all around the world and love doing that. But probably the most important thing I loved doing was developing people and teaching during that time. I set up corporate universities in all of my companies and most proud of seeing my people who work for me go on to success in their own lives. Um, and then when I sold my last company, I started at a university and love. It's been a great second career. We were just talking about second careers at the intro and you know, helping these young people find their way. I'm at a liberal arts university, so it's 18 to 22 year olds who are just finding their way in life. And that's been just a, a great gift. And um, then, as I say, recently, I've been an author of two books, one on, on running a company as a system, which has gotten a lot of traction uh, today is systems thinking is get, gaining a lot of traction. And then estimated time of departure tells the story of my discussions with my parents at the end of their life and how we sort of um, just three, I used the term earlier, three knuckleheads, just kind of gambling our way towards the end, trying to figure it out and, and um, how important those discussions were. Yeah. So just, wow, that, there's, there's a lot there, a lot of meat and potatoes that we need to really dive into. So I'm a systems person. I was a leader. Um, my late husband and I had five businesses and uh, I was vice president of key accounts and business operations. And you know what? Uh, it being a leader and developing people was probably one of my favorite things as well. And watching them, you know, excel in their role and move on to being to move, move on to, to being leaders themselves. And I think that if we if we all learn that we're here to serve each other, then the world would definitely be a much better place. I mean, I, I'm here to serve that. Absolutely. That's what I want to do. I have a very servitude nature, although I am a leader. But mm -hmm. I think as leaders, we are here to serve people, right? Couldn't that, agree more. Yeah. So that I, I absolutely, I miss it. I miss doing, being a leader. I miss like developing people, helping them succeed, seeing them win. I, I do miss a lot of that. So thank you for what you've done and your contribution in that, in that area. I think it's very important. Well, it's a, it's a great pleasure. And, and, you know, when you don't have it, it's, it's lonely. It can be lonely when you don't have people around you. And, and I'm with you. I'm a servant leader. I, I believe that the leader's job is to create great leaders themselves and let those people go on and achieve greatness, not hold them back. And too many leaders think that. So. Yes. Yes. I actually recently, so after my husband passed, I, I had the, I've gotten into corporate America. I mean, we were entrepreneurs. I've always been an entrepreneur and it, and it was a very interesting experience. Um, I'm currently unemployed. I'm just doing my podcast at the moment. Um, but I, I, during the last five years, I haven't had the best leaders and mm -hmm. it really made me look back and, and it made me realize some of the things that I wanted to change about myself. If I ever got back into leadership again, and also made me realize how important it is to value, 
your, you, you know, people that are underneath of you and make sure that they do have the skills that they need to, to move on, to become better and, and to see them excel. Absolutely. Yeah. It opened my eyes to a lot of things. So I think it was necessary. That's part of my journey, right. Is going mm -hmm. through that. So very cool. So why don't we talk about some of the systems that you've put in place? I mean, I'm a big systems person, very mm -hmm. systematic. Right. You know, that's how you become efficient. You know, yeah. I, I'm a little type A, very yeah. like anal when it comes to that. Um, but if you, for me, that's a way to live very like carefree and mm -hmm. happy because everything's like, you know, in order. <laughs> right. Well, and, and therein lies the danger and the, the both and both the order is important, but it's also you have to step back from the system and say, is it still aligned properly? Because one of the my great quotes that I use in the book is that every system is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting today. And so if you come back, if you're not getting the right results, take a look at the system. We all want to blame people, but often it's the, it's the system that's set up uh, and causes them to do the wrong thing. So um, you know, it's important, I think, to go back and, and constantly re rethink our way of, of looking at things. And a lot of people don't like to do that. We've yeah. done it this way forever. Um, and, and you know the culture gets locked in and we keep doing it the same way rather than stepping back and saying, is there a better way to think about this and engaging the people? And I think one of the, the things going back to our early discussion about uplifting people that really troubles me, Deanna, as a, as a manager and a leader, if you look at the Gallup studies year after year, upwards of 80% of the employees say they're either disengaged or actively disengaged at work. They don't know what success looks like. They don't know how to add value and they, they're, they're floundering. And that's a, that's a condemnation of leadership and management. And it's also an unbelievable opportunity if we can unlock all that energy and get all those people really contributing at levels they'd never thought possible, wonderful things can occur. So it's, yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be magical. Yeah. So you've been, uh, you said you've been CEO of nine different companies around the world. Well, eight, eight officially, and then three as an acting CEO from a board position. So around oh, okay. the world. And you've taken one company public. Took a company public from, from a, a you know, somebody's house to worldwide distribution and, and a public offering, just a classic American story. So that's amazing. What yeah. was that process like? It was tiring. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but it would no, it was magical. And and just seeing an idea and, and seeing it come to fruition and, and change. It was the electronic projection display, the LCD projection displays that are in every room. And when I first saw it, it was like, this is just going to revolutionize everything. And, sure. and it was just a terrific um, enabling uh, technology and, and was just wonderful to travel around the world and, and see that, that um, success was just great. So out of all the companies that you were CEO at and being a systems person, was that your, your most successful venture or had, did you go into a, in a, a new company and completely streamline and change all the systems? What, what was, what's your best story? <laughs> yeah. I mean, taking Enview from a, from a um, three person firm to worldwide distribution and two public offerings in a leading position is, you know, clearly that's the great story, but but everyone's fun and you learn through every one of them. And I think one of the things I did well, Deanna, was I didn't get attached. It wasn't about me and it wasn't about my ego. It was about the entity. And so if you did the right thing for the entity um, and, and sort of discharged your fiduciary responsibility, I could, I could hold my head high in doing that. So, um, you know, one was I got started. My father had two companies and got very sick. 
uh, and I took those over for him and ran them when I really wasn't qualified to do that, but just threw my shoulder to it, learned everything I could, um, and getting him extricated from those and, and running them effectively and having a good end of, of you know, the business is, is important as the starting. Um, for so sure. Sure. Really knowing who you are. And, and um, one of the companies I ran was a joint venture where the two partners were just not agreeing in how to, to go forward. And so I went to each of them and said, you're not in agreement. You should just dissolve this. You should sell this joint venture. And that's what we ended up doing. That made me out of a job, but it was the right thing to do because they didn't have a, a, a clear vision of what they wanted to do with the joint venture. Wow. Wow. So um, I have a question. I don't. This might be off topic or not, but you know, you you talk about your servitude leader, and I feel like there there's a high number, a high percentage of leaders that really kind of run things from an ego place and not really in that place of servitude where they where they really should be. And I feel like that is kind of what creates really bad culture and bro- and creates broken processes and systems in, yep. in companies. So, do you find that to be true? Absolutely. You know, as a systems thinker, we talk about the culture is an emergent property of the system, right? Culture doesn't exist. There's not a dial. You don't buy it off the shelf. It emerges from the combination and the interconnections of all the pieces and all the people. And it's going to derive from leadership. If leadership doesn't, it micromanages, it's going to be a, a psychic prison. If they allow people to grow and they expect great things of great people and they choose well, um, the, the world can happen. And yeah. so it, it absolutely is critical. So have you ever gone into one of your companies and, and have um, changed that kind of mentality with your leaders? I have. Um, one that I went into was a, a you know very old line company run a particular way. And um, in fact, a funny story, when we were, um, I was being installed by the the CEO of the parent company, and we were going down to install me and announce me as the new CEO. He said, Willie, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I looked right at him and I said, Mike, I'm going to go and open the prison doors and let the, the prisoners out of the cells. And, yeah. and they had great people, but they were micromanaging them and, and not allowing them to make good decisions. And so I just I went and took titles away and opened up the doors and got rid of, of tons of meetings and said, let's go just be really good at what we do and just got the alignment and proper processes in place. And it was a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I hate micromanaging and I hate to be micromanaged because I just don't feel, and, and the people that aren't going to be doing their job that because you feel like you have to micromanage them, they're, they're, you're going to see it and you're just time to get rid of them. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. Like yep. if you put them into, if you give them all the tools that they need to do their job and if they still aren't doing it and you think that you have to micromanage, that's not the right person in the position. Absolutely. And yeah. micromanagement feels like a lack of trust to good people. Yes. And and they'd wonder, why don't you trust me? And it's frustrating for them. Very true. Very. I, true. I describe it in my book as an area of freedom, describing an area of freedom for somebody. And if you take somebody who's very talented and give them a very small area of freedom, it's really frustrating for them. Similarly, if you take somebody who's not very competent and give them a huge area of freedom, it can be scary and they can fail if only because they don't know what to do. So you have to have those individual discussions and size those jobs to, to the people and then, and then develop them and make sure they're the right people and they're growing. Today's episode is brought to you by Honey Love. Ladies, let's talk about shapewear. We all know most shapewear makes you feel like you're being suffocated. 
that sexy dress in the back of your closet is so freaking cute, but the thought of having your inside squished by your shapewear is just not worth it. That's why Honey Love spent years researching and developing effective shapewear that's actually comfortable. Overly tight, cheap and sticky fabrics that roll up are a thing of the past. Thanks to Honey Love, you can finally feel confident and comfortable in your favorite outfits. We have an exclusive deal for our listeners for a limited time only. You can get Honey Love's best deal they offer. Get 20% off your entire order with the code LABEL320 at honeylove.com. That's right, ladies. Get 20% off of your entire order with LABEL320 at honeylove.com. So are you currently a CEO or are you retired? I'm not uh, not currently a CEO. I'm on a couple of boards still, and I do a lot of work in that area, um, but I'm full-time teaching in academia. As I said, it's turned into a second career that I just love, helping young people in a business school find their way along. And, and uh, I run our entrepreneurship club. I run our investment club um, and just really help these students kind of get on the path. Wow. So, okay. Uh, that, that, that makes me think of another question. So you being a CEO of all these different companies, but you're teaching entrepreneurship. So do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I do. I've started, helped start probably 20 companies, uh, you know, two or three of my own and sold them and um, been involved in that for a long time, taught it for a long time. So I'm, I'm very actively involved, helped start here our, our angel investor community. I've started our accelerator here in town. I'm on the board of that. So it's really important. That's where, you know, we, we read about Apple and Google and all the big publicly traded companies and they're great companies and there's a lot you can learn from them. But I think the statistic is still true that about 84% of all the businesses in the world are small and family businesses. And yet we don't rec really recognize, we talk a lot about, oh, small businesses are so important, but we don't really recognize how powerful they are. Most of the jobs are created by small businesses and, and mid-sized businesses. And I don't think they get enough credit. And that's why I really like working with owner founders and entrepreneurs. And you know it, you've had your own businesses. You're just so much closer to the quick and knowing what's going on and so much more alive than when you're part of a you know, multi-billion dollar enterprise. Totally agree. Totally agree. So what prompted your first book, Simple, Complex the, uh, Simple Complexities? So my father, what got me started in systems thinking, which systems thinking was a reaction to the way we teach a lot of the disciplines, Deanna. You know, we because the world and, and a topic is so complex, we, we break it down um, and, and parse it into using reductionist techniques. So for instance, in, in business, we take a business and we break it into finance and accounting and marketing and right. operations and law, and we teach it that way. And we never come back and say, okay, now here's how all those parts work together. And, and as you know, from running them, sometimes one has to compromise for the other. Yes. So you can't just optimize each one of the, 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 the um, parts. And that's what system thinking realized was, no, when, when you bring the pieces back together, they don't operate like optimized pieces. They start to operate as a whole. And my father gave me all the early texts on systems thinking back in the, the 60s and 70s. And I've often wondered whether that was for punishment or enlightenment. <laughs> but I went off to just thinking everybody's going to think about the world as a system and, and right. put the pieces together. And boy, was I surprised. And then as I got on a management track and started leading companies, a lot of investors, private equity folks, board members said, well, you just have a really interesting way of putting these pieces together and talking about it and teaching it. And they said, you should write a book. And so I did. And um, 
called Simple Complexity. And so who, who, who would be your target audience for this book? Really, it's, um, you know, if you, if you use the most um, basic definition of a, of a socio-technical system, it's elements interacting with a purpose. Well, that's just about everything. That's a team. That's a small not-for-profit. That's a, and so it's really managers and leaders of any sort of enterprise who are charged with taking a set of elements that interact with a particular purpose, a mission, a goal, a, you know, right. um, and, and um, trying to make it approachable so that it's not first just, just about sales or just about marketing or just about finance, but all about the system. And then to make it approachable so that they see what the system is doing early on. So um, I've got a lot of, of call outs from the field so people can see a, a billion dollar company and the activities and dynamics that go on. They can see a startup. Uh, I've got a quote from a, a you know, wonderful woman who is the executive director of a not-for-profit. Um, and so it, it's really for anybody managing an enterprise. That, okay, I love it. Where can people find that book? So it's available on Amazon. I'll show you. It, uh, Thank like, you. And this is an interesting story. The One of my students did all the design work for the cover and everything, working and he did the design work on my second one. But um, so Amazon, Books a Million, um, uh, Barnes and Noble, any of the, the normal platforms. If you go to um, simplecomplexitybook.com, you can order it from there and and read some of my blog posts, et cetera. I might have to get, get my hands on that book. Um, let's talk about your other one. And I think in, you, you mentioned something before we start recording, which I totally agree with. Um, estimated time of departure and what in that conversation around end of life. And, you know, that's what prompted that book. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So first about the title it is my father was a pilot and, um, you know, pilots have to file a flight plan with an estimated time of departure and what the weather's going to be like, et cetera. So I modeled it all on, on sort of a, a, a flying metaphor. But my parents named me the executive director and, and executor of their estate. And I said, the good news about that is I love you and will do anything for you. The bad news is I'm kind of a planner and a stickler for detail and, and system. So I said, how does, how do we, does this movie end? And they just didn't want to talk about any of those yeah. things. So I really, you know, forced myself on them to over a long period of time to get them comfortable with talking about it. And what I learned during that time, Deanna, is we're just terrible about talking about something that is inevitable. Yeah. Which it just, and I, I start the book that way. I say, if you knew you were going to have to move to Cleveland because of your job, you'd probably start doing something. You'd start researching Cleveland. You'd start putting your house on the market, cleaning it or whatever. If you knew you had to learn a foreign language, you'd start taking classes or whatever. Well, we all know where the end is coming, right. but we just want to ignore it and kick it down the road. And so what I learned is, is um, as, as hard and as painful and sad as those discussions were, and you expect them to be because the topic's not very fun. It's also extraordinarily liberating when you really get down to it. And, and that's where all the love comes because now and the certainty that comes with it, that I knew exactly what my parents wanted and how they wanted their end of life to occur. And there was no doubt about it and, and no, you know, my sister saying, yo, mom wanted this. And I'm wondering, is that true? Right, and right. the doctors weren't making those decisions. I've got a friend who wrote a great book called Who Says You're Dead? 
is it your insurance company, your son, your daughter, and and his right. premise is you do, you know, you get to decide it. And, and I think that's a, a, a message, you know, that we all need to, to come to grips with is, I think we all owe life a good death. And, and one of the, the really profound um, philosophical shifts for me was when I met with a hospice coordinator just to see sort of what might the end look like if, if we got to that point. And she said, she asked me, she said, Willie, what, what's the opposite of, of um, life? And I said, well, death. And she said, no, no, the, the opposite of, of life is birth or death is birth. Life right. is what you do in between. And she said, don't conflate death and life with, with one another. And she said, live your life, get your parents to live their life while they're here and, and not conflate those two. So it was, um, you know, I just learned that we're terrible at, at talking about it. And so I, as I researched and looked at the topics and read a lot myself, a lot of it came from doctors, lawyers, and estate managers, and, and people like that, and very clinical, all great stuff and good advice. Right. But I wanted to write a, just a, a sort of a common man story about, hey, you can do this. These, these are just my, my parents and me just asking questions and going through life and sort of trying to, to sort of piece together what that looked like. And they became very powerful and cathartic and, and liberating. And the certainty that came with them was just really powerful. And my whole message to people is don't miss that opportunity. Yeah, because the I, I did a lot of work and have, have done a lot of studying of grief after the fact. And one of my good friends is now a, a grief specialist. And, you know, he just said, if you miss this opportunity, what what people for what adds to their grief is the the um, regret about what didn't get said. And so that just don't miss that opportunity. Wow, very powerful stuff. And like I said, um, before we start recording, my best friend says, Every, we all have a reservation we can't cancel. And I think it's very, it's very true. You know, yeah. so like knowing that should really kind of set the tone of how you live your life, you know, Absolutely. and just making sure you have everything in place and that you're living it. And like I told you, I mean, my experience, some of the things I've gone through, I have a completely different view on life. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you need to live every day to its fullest. You just need a if you have a dream, go after it, you know, because regret is not something you want to live with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really believe that it's never too late. So mm -hmm. where can people find that book as well? So right now we're using a vehicle called a publicizer campaign, which as a, as an entrepreneur, right. you'd be interested. Think about Kickstarter for a book. Yeah. Um, and so you can go to Publishizer and look for estimated time of departure. And then also uh, the website for the book is estimated time of departure, all one word.com. And you can go there and that'll take you to the Publishizer campaign. It just gives you a little bit of background. Cool. So that's it's not published yet, but it's going to be getting it's going to be published here. The ebook the e will be out in a few months and the, and the paperback copies will be out in the fall. Very cool. So we've already had two of your links. Are there any other links that you'd like to share with the audience that they can go to to find you? Um, no, those are the other. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, they can look me up there. And, and those are the two most important. Perfect. All right. I will also put that in the show notes. Um, is there any last words of wisdom or advice you'd like to leave with the audience before you wrap things up? Yeah. Uh, one of the things as I explored um, death and and sort of traditions around the world, Deanna, that was important. Um, I learned about an African tradition that really helped me as I went through. And that was they view the world as is that the physical death is not the, the final death. The, their final death is when the last person on earth, 
uses your name and remembers you. And that was very powerful to me. And, and uh, it's been proven since that happened that yes, this, the physical death of my parents was sad and, and, but we were prepared for it and they've never left because I still write about them and talk about them all the time. And so that philosophy of death really moved me and helped me and I hope will help your, your listeners. I love that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is a really amazing. So that's even more important. That makes it even more profound why you should live your legacy uh, so that you people, you can be on them, like on people's minds and, and, and come out of their mouths for eternity. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I love that. That's what my mom always taught me. She said, you know, she told me and my siblings, you have to live your legacy. Fly yep. like an eagle, you yep. know, well, go out there and make it. She was a wise person. Yes. Well, she's still here. So oh, good. <laughs> yes, I'll be seeing her today. Actually. I love good. my mom. She's, she's well, give her a hug for me. I will for sure. Willie. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest. That was very informative. Just, and we ended it on a very good, just positive note and talking about something that's very real in everyone's life. Um, you guys, this is your host, Deanna Kempel with label free podcast, live your best life. You must live label free. Please don't forget to subscribe, like comment, share, follow all those good things. And I'll be back very soon with more dynamic guests.